1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. This is a, a bit of a, a closing, a benediction to the, to the Thessalonian church by the Apostle Paul. And he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The key verse that we'll be focusing on today is going to be 16, 17, and 18 out of that passage. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, nearly half a millennia ago, that's, that's 500 years ago, there was trouble brewing in Europe. Things were, things were getting very, very bad there. And a religious spark was lit. And this spark created a fire, and that fire is still burning today. This fire was a call to reform Christianity back to its basic principles. Things had gotten very much out of hand, and the basic principles that they needed to retreat back to were faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. And England was no exception to this movement. England was in Europe, and its church had been taken over by the government at that time. It had a government-led church. And just like men, governments run by men are prone to corruption. Very much what is warned by the same Apostle Paul in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where Apostle Paul says, For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They, they knew God, they didn't glorify him, and they didn't give him thanks. That was this government, this church that was run by the government, that was run by men. The Church of England, it was so corrupt at that time that there was a group of 
people that, that pulled themselves away from that church and away from that government system. And they were called the separatists because they separated themselves from the church of England and from the government of England as the government was running the church because they knew that it wasn't right. Today, we don't call them separatists, but we would know them as Puritans. And they left England to escape the persecution that they were receiving from the church state, and that persecution eventually led to a civil war. Now, we know the story of the, of the Puritans that came over on the Mayflower. Actually, it's a part of our culture and it's a part of our history, and we're, we're going to talk about that some more today. But even on the back of a $10,000 bill, I don't have a $10,000 bill, but if you ever see a copy of a $10,000 bill on the back of that, it's a picture of the Puritans leaving Europe, an artist's rendition of that, leaving England. So they get on the boat. There's actually two boats. There was the Mayflower and the Speedwell. The Speedwell started to sink, so they had to go back, and, and many of the, the uh, pilgrims that were on the Speedwell came over and joined on in the Mayflower. And it took them 66 days to cross the Atlantic Ocean, and it was a terrible journey. It was extremely awful. The main mast of the ship busted off. They, they fixed it with a printing press that they were going to use to print Bibles off of. But they limped their way through the storm-tossed ocean all the way to the United States at that time. They were heading for the mouth of the Hudson River. And they got there. They eventually got there. But when they got there, the seas were so rough that they couldn't even get out. It was so awful, and they were, they were so afraid of smashing up their boat on the mouth of the Hudson River that they had to head north. Interesting, the place that they were, they were trying to go was a place called Providence. Providence. So they head north, trying to get out of the, the storm-tossed coast, and they, get up in a, they head around into Massachusetts today, and they get inside of Cape Cod. And inside of Cape Cod, they found a spot that was suitable. And 400 years ago, 400 years ago, this exact month, the month of November, 1620, is when they found Plymouth Rock. 102 pilgrims landed there in Plymouth Rock. 400 years ago this month. Well, when they got there, the winter was so bad in such a harsh and fierce winter that many of them had to live on the boat because that's the only provision they had. Remember, they got there at the end of November, so it was, it was very, very difficult. It was so bad that 45 of them perished before spring came from exposure and from scurvy. Yet, with the help of the Native Americans, the survivors made it through. And they planted a garden, and in the fall, they were able to sustain a harvest. And this harvest, one of the pilgrims, William Bradford, he would record, and although it be not always so plentiful as it was in this time for us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. These people, after all their exceptional hardships, after all of the pain and suffering that they went through. They are thanking God for his providential care in their lives. Every wave 
that smashed across their ship. Every fiber of the main mast that broke off in their ship and that they had to repair. They believed that was directed by the creator of the universe. Everything that had happened to them there. They knew that the temperature of the air as it was freezing their bodies, that that temperature of the air was sustained by the hand of the Almighty God. And these people, after all of that, after 45 of their, of their loved ones perished, these people, now they're, they're, handing, they're holding some ears of, of Indian corn and, the, and a basket full of squash. And all that they, they can think to do is to give God all of the glory for the blessings in their lives. Think about that today. I, don't, I know that we've been going through some pretty hard times, but I don't think that our hard times have yet come to compare to the hard times that, that these Puritans, these pilgrims, these separatists were facing on Plymouth Rock. But guess what? The same God that they were worshiping then is the same God that we worship here today. Is the same God that we here today have come to First Baptist Church and, and you at home that we together are worshiping. An all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. There's nowhere that we could ever go to escape God. It's like as if you were the only person on this entire earth and all of God's eyes were appointed to you. He would have his complete attention on you. Where could you go to hide from his presence? There is nowhere you could go to hide from his presence. You couldn't go to the bottom of the ocean or into the deepest cave or wherever you would want to try to go, wherever you would try to hide. There is nowhere that you could hide from the eyes of God. You must face him. Everyone must face them. And everyone will face God. And when they do, they will know that he is the king of kings and that he is the Lord of lords. And when you realize that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords, everything that you have in this life and everything that you have in the next life is all because of him. Completely because of him. He is in control of every single thing. Every single molecule in the universe, in heaven and on earth, he is in complete control. There is nothing outside of him. And that is providence. Everything that you have is his. Everything that you have ever had is his, and it never was yours. It never was. It was a gift from God to you. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon puts it much better than I ever could. In a sermon, he says this, everything a sinner gets must come by favor. Everything a sinner gets must come by favor. It cannot come any way else. For if you get what you deserve... You will get no love, no mercy, and no grace. Everything that we have, every blessing that we have, 
Everything that we have is a gift from God. So this is why in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the verse that we're talking today, we are commanded to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That is the appropriate response to a gift. To when you receive a gift, all of the gifts that we have, everything we have are gifts. When we receive a gift, the most appropriate response is thanksgiving. The pilgrims got that. The pilgrims understood that. That everything that they have was a gift through their tremendous hardships they understood that the appropriate response for them was to give thanks, and so should we today. Thanksgiving is coming up this week. It is a truly American holiday. A holiday, the root words for holiday mean it is a holy day, it is a day set apart. And the founders of our country recognized this. The first Congress of the United States, both joint Congress, the Joint Congress, the House and the Senate of the United States, they recognized this, and recognizing the importance of thanking their creator, they charged the first president, George Washington, to recommend a day to the nation, to set apart this day to thank God for his benevolent providence. And you can look this up, and I will read it to you. On October 3rd, 1789, this is the proclamation of George Washington that he wrote to the nation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, and whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed and acknowledged with grateful hearts the, the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peacefully to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service, to the service of the great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. Why? That we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks. Thanks for what? Thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation for the signal, single and manifold mercies and the favorable impositions of his providence. And also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of the nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. 
Wow. I know that was a bit long, but look that up sometime and read that. Read that. October 3rd, 1789, Congress telling the first president to set aside a day for our nation to thank God for all that he has done for us. Rendering our nation humble to God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. They got it. They understood that. Are we still thankful for every circumstance in our lives? 74 years later, President Abraham Lincoln, in 1863, he takes it even further and he understands who we are as a nation and who we are as individuals, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and he understands who God is and that everything that we have has come through him. And he makes a proclamation. The year, and this is what it says, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with blessings of fruitful yields and healthful skies. This year was 1863, folks. 1863, that is the same year. He's saying this in November. That is the same year as Gettysburg. That is the same year as Gettysburg. And he says, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies to these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so extraordinarily by nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften the heart even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of our Almighty God. Habitually, habitually insensible. He understands who we are. But all of these providences of God are softening the heart, is what our president said then. He goes on to say, No human counsel has devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are gracious gifts from the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should solemnly, reverently, and gratefully be acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perversiveness and disobedience. Oh, how awful we are, he says. Oh, how prone we are to forget that God has given us everything. Yet how merciful God has been to us and what great thanks that we owe for him. Understanding who we are and understanding who God really is is probably the most important thing that we can understand in our lives. And you can only give thanks when you realize that what you have, everything that you have, everything, 
has been given to, to you. You know, today is a day of entitlement and self-gratification. We, we live in a very secular culture, a culture that, that thinks that perhaps they earned everything for themselves. But Thanksgiving is supposed to be humbling. You know, and I, sometimes I think, how, how would George and, and Abraham fare in today's political climate? How far would they make it? Could they make it to the presidency today? It's kind of hard to realize that everything in your life and everything in my life and everything, both things that I feel are good and things that I feel are bad, everything is a gift. And the appropriate response to everything that I have is thanksgiving. So as we're going to take this one day, this one day that, uh, that our, our nation has given to us and set it apart for thanks, we think about all of the, the parts of our lives. All the benevolent grace that has been given and, and poured out to us over the last year, we think about that. And, and a lot of times on our, on our Sunday worships, on Thanksgiving, we go around and we talk about all of the, all of the great um, things that God has given to us and all of, all of our praises for Him. And there are so many that we could go on and go on and on. But the most important piece of thanksgiving is recognizing the greatest gift that has ever been given. The gift that's been given to you and the same gift has been given to me and that gift is the salvation from our sins. Every sin that you have ever committed, every dirty deed that you have ever done, every reckless thought that you ever thunk, every slant word that you ever said or wanted to say, all of those have separated you and have separated all of us, for we have all done it, all have sinned. They've separated us from the glory of God, our Creator. But because of His love, because He loved us, he sent his son as a gift to die and to pay for our sins and to take our condemnation from us and take it upon himself so that our sins are completely covered and they are no more. No more. And that is the truth. That is the truth and that is the same truth that will set us free. Free from our bondage of sin if we believe in it. We are no longer separated God from God, and there could, be, there could be nothing else greater. There could not be nothing else greater to inspire us to thanksgiving for our Creator than realizing that Jesus Christ has completely paid for all of our sins. What more could be better? What more could inspire us for thanks? And for that, we must give thanks. We must give thanks. We have the day of thanksgiving. But folks, every day... In heaven, every single day in heaven is Thanksgiving Day. Every day they are thanking Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of our sins and for who they are. 
every day is Thanksgiving. And every day, likewise, on earth, every day for us as Christians, for the Christian, every day is Thanksgiving Day. We don't need the United States of America to give us a day so that we can do this. We have every day that we need to be thankful. Every single day. It starts now for us. We thank God every day. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because whatever circumstance we have is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And lastly, one, one piece of practical application, how do we give thanks? Well, thanks itself is very humbling. We do it humbly. You can't, you can't give thanks without being humble. And that, that in itself is difficult. But we do it outwardly. We do it outwardly. If we think of, of Luke chapter 17, there were 10 lepers that came to Jesus. And they were all healed. And nine of them ran back home and were so happy. Of course they were grateful. Of course they were thankful. But one of them returned. And they returned to Jesus. And in Luke 17, 15, it says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Yes, all of them were grateful. But this one outwardly worshipped his Savior. He threw himself down at his feet and he thanked him and he did it openly and he praised God and he praised him in a loud voice. And that's what we are doing. That is what we are doing when we worship God our Father. We come, we humble ourselves, we thank him and we praise him. So let us today and every day and always and forever Continue to thank our God, our Father, for who he is and for all he has done for us. Stand with me as we close and as we reflect on being thankful. Uh, let us praise God as we sing the doxology, praising him for who he is.